Psalm 22. This is God's word. To the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. 
They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. Amen. We thank God for his truth. Well, before we come to think on these uh, verses on this psalm together, let's ask for God's help. Let's pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, we need your help to enlighten us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds that we might understand and to open our hearts that we might believe what you are teaching to us through your holy and inspired word today. We pray for that help. We pray that you would be with us and bless us by speaking directly to each one of us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I wonder uh, if you've ever heard the story about a guy walking down the road who falls into a hole. Maybe there's a lot of stories that are like that. In this one, the guy's in the hole and he's calling for help when he hears the voice of a friend calling back to him. Timmy, is that you? Yes, I've fallen down the hole. Well, before you know it, the friend has jumped down into the hole beside him. What are you doing, says Timmy. Now we're both stuck down here. You could have gone and got help. Ah, says the friend. You see, I've been in this hole before. And I know the way out. It's a silly story. But it demonstrates a point for us in relation to Psalm 22. You see, we're stuck. You and I are lost in a hole. We're We're deep in the sin and the the muck and the mire of this world. And we would love to get ourselves out, but we can't. All we can do is shout for help. What if we had a friend who knew the way out? What if there was one who knew how to overcome sin and death? What if there was someone who knew how to face suffering? Who knew the way to everlasting glory? Well, it would be good to know that person, wouldn't it? That would be a good idea to follow them. Psalm 22 gives us this pattern, like I was saying to the boys and girls. It it shapes the Christian life. The shape is... Suffering before glory. It's a smile. Down before going up. The shape of the Christian life is demonstrated for us by Jesus. He knows the way. He's the one who shows us how to endure suffering for the joy that is set before us. But we would be foolish to think only of Jesus as, as a demonstrator, as, as one who demonstrates the way for us to follow. He himself is the way. He has made the way out of the muck and mire. He's not simply demonstrated how to endure and overcome suffering. He himself in his own flesh 
has made the way for us to endure and overcome suffering. Psalm 22 is is a great example of something that a number of Psalms do for us. If we were to read through the Gospels, the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we read a lot about the things that Jesus did. And we read a lot about the things that Jesus said. But we don't get a huge amount of detail about how Jesus felt. There are glimpses into the emotions of Christ. His, his tears at the death of Lazarus is an example. But the Gospels don't really delve into the emotions of Christ at any great level. The Psalms, on the other hand, the Psalms give us huge insight into the feelings and the emotions of God's covenant king. Psalm 22, I think, does this particularly well. John Calvin referred to the Psalms as the anatomy of the human soul. Every emotion, from joy to despair, from praise to lament, it's all here. It's all found in the Psalms. And so to help us understand our own feelings and emotions, it's good to look to the Psalms and to understand how Jesus felt. Psalm 22 is very clearly a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about the Messiah. It's very clearly a prophecy of Jesus' death on the cross. It's good to note that although crucifixion wasn't common in the time of David, the descriptions that are given in Psalm 22 are, are an accurate description of the death of Jesus. And Christ himself quoted this psalm on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Gives us an insight into his feelings as he hung on the cross. But it's not only the suffering of Psalm 22 that reflects the life of Christ. The book of Hebrews in chapter 2, it teaches us that the section at the end of Psalm 22, the rejoicing section, is actually a hymn of praise to God in which Jesus himself leads his people. And so I want us to look through the psalm and I want us to see these two sections. There's the downward section of suffering in verses 1 to 21. And then you'll notice if, if you look at the end of verse 21, there's a hinge, there's a turning point. The psalmist exclaims that God has answered him. And so after that, there's an upward section. A section of praise in verses 22 to 31. So we follow Jesus down, then up. Suffering, then glory. Pain, then praise. Do have your Bibles open to Psalm 22. We're going to start with pain. Pain of our Messiah. The opening verse of this psalm is, of course, well known. We know it because Jesus quoted it from the cross. And likely knowing the Psalms as well as Jesus did, he wasn't just thinking of that first line, but he was thinking of the whole Psalm. But these are shocking words, aren't they? A real punch in the gut. Think about last week. Think about Psalm 21. 
a wonderful affirmation of the covenant love of God. Remember that the king shall not be moved. Where has that gone? Where's that confidence gone? What's happened to cause the beginning of Psalm 22? My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Well, we don't know exactly what David was going through. Anything would be speculation. But we know exactly what Jesus was going through when he quoted this. And so, like I've said, this psalm gives us an insight into the inner mind of Christ. It tells us the thoughts and the feelings of Jesus as the author of life, the creator of all things, hung on the cross about to die. It's a very special psalm. It's an insight into the mind of Christ right before his death. In his commentary on the Psalms, Spurgeon wrote this. He said, we should read reverently, putting off the shoes from our feet, as Moses did at the burning bush. For if there be holy ground anywhere in Scripture, it is in this psalm. This is a special psalm. It gives us the emotion of the Lord Jesus as he faced sin and death for you and me. And what's the predominant feeling? The predominant feeling is forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And from this psalm, we can tell just what that means. What, what does it mean for Jesus to be forsaken by God? Well, first of all, it means silence. The first few verses of this psalm complain that God is not answering when his servant calls to him. David is, is used to calling out to God, isn't he? All through the Psalms we read about David calling out to God and then God answers with rescue. But look at verse 2. It seems to David as if he's crying out, but God doesn't hear. That's what Christ went through on the cross. Just think about that. Think about what Jesus endured for you, the, the only son of the Father, begotten, not created, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, having existence as God from all eternity, Jesus cries out to God and God does not hear him. There's no response. Silence. Maybe you can imagine a, a small fraction of that pain. Imagine you're in trouble and you reached out to a stranger for help and, and the stranger didn't respond. And you might be annoyed, but probably not terribly surprised. After all, it's a stranger. Imagine then you reach out to your mother or father, or your husband or wife, and they don't even respond. That would hurt, wouldn't it? The depth and the length of relationship makes a difference. Well, that's just a glimpse into the emotion of Jesus as he cries out to God, but hears no response. The Father has an eternal relationship with the Son, and yet 
there is silence. But it's not just silence, is it? The, the psalm also points us to scorn. Jesus went through scorn on the cross. Verses 6 to 8, I am a worm and no man. Reproach of men, despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him. You can hear the mockery. You can hear the blasphemy of the name of God. Enemies of God taking joy in the suffering of Christ. Shouting on to let God rescue him. Mocking, blaspheming the name of God. And if that wasn't enough, as well as the silence and the scorn, there is suffering. Physical suffering. Verses 12 and 16 sort of encapsulate this for us. His attackers are described as bulls. They're described as dogs. Strong and fierce. Attacking God's king with beastly power and viciousness. Animal language used here to imply that there's no humanity left. There's no trace of sympathy or compassion. They are out for blood and they know how to get it. And so that's what Jesus endured. He endured forsakenness. He went through silence and scorn and suffering. He is mocked and beaten. And he faces silence from the only one who can help him. I think I have to point out that it's through this experience of Jesus that you and I have hope. The loneliness of Christ is clear in these verses. And yet he faced up to this loneliness on your behalf. God, Jesus took the silence of God for you. He took it so that you don't have to. Jesus faced this so that you can know that God will always hear your prayers. Jesus took the scorn and suffering that you and I deserve. And he did it so that we can find hope and confidence. So that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can be healed. On the cross, Jesus was carrying your sin. He went through silence and scorn and suffering. And he took it all so that you don't have to. The king's suffering in this psalm is not with his people. His suffering is for his people. When you think about a group of explorers, boys and girls, this might help you as well. Think about a group of explorers moving through the jungle. And at the front is one with a machete and he's chopping down branches and stamping down the undergrowth. He's killing snakes or whatever other creepy crawlies are in the way. He's making a path. He's making a path for those who follow him. Isn't that what Christ did through the cross? He faced down sin and death and in doing so he made a path. He made a path for all who follow him. If you wander off the path, you will surely die. But following the Saviour 
is the way to everlasting life. Because although there is silence, and although there is scorn, and although there is suffering, there is also great hope and great trust. I want you to scan through the psalm in front of you. And I want you to notice the start of verse 3. See what the start of verse 3 says? And then look to verse 9, at the start of verse 9. And then the start of verse 19. You see how they all start? But you. The psalmist is in the worst of times and, and Jesus faced the worst of times on the cross, but he doesn't lose hope. There is silence and scorn and suffering and through the darkness of those things, there still shine the brightness of hope through the cracks. But you. He reminds himself of who God is. Each time he, is, he feels forsaken, he counters that forsakenness with the truth about God. When he feels silence, he reminds himself of God's goodness and of God's goodness to those who have trusted him in the past. When he feels scorn, he reminds himself of how God made him in the womb how God nurtured him through his young years. Doesn't the scorn of men fade when we remember that God loves us? And when he feels physical suffering, he trusts his life into the hands of God. He knows that he has no strength of his own, but that God is his strength. Friends, this is the path we follow. Silence, scorn and suffering, all of those, yes. We follow Christ into these. And I am sure that each one of you has felt one or more of those in your own way. We can't ignore times of loneliness. People here might have had times of loneliness. We can't ignore times of mockery that we've experienced. Some of us will have to physically suffer for the sake of Christ. But all the while we follow him. We remind ourselves of who God is. We say, but you, but you God, this is who you are. We remind ourselves of his goodness, his goodness to those who have gone before us. We remind ourselves that even if other people mock us, it's God's love for us that matters. We remind ourselves that actually we're all powerless, aren't we, in the face of death? But God is Lord of life and death. He's powerful over all of it. Psalm 22 shows us that Christ has made a path for us, a path of pain. But after pain comes praise. Verse 21, at the end of verse 21, you have answered me. The whole psalm hinges on this point. That the slope downward into pain turns and moves upward into praise. The but you verses, well, they result in vindication. God shows himself to be trustworthy. Trustworthy. 
We know where the cross leads. The boys and girls know where the cross leads. The cross of Christ leads through death into everlasting life. Jesus didn't remain in the grave. He reigns. He is risen and he reigns forever. That means that everybody who's following him has to follow in his path. Suffering and pain. But that path leads to glory and praise. I think it's helpful to know that this section of of the psalm, the second half of the psalm, is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. The author of Hebrews is explaining that Christ is the one who sanctifies us as we follow him. And then he quotes verse 22 of our psalm. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You see, Jesus is the one who meets us here. Jesus is the one who leads us in worship through his word. Some churches talk about worship leaders as people who stand at the front with a guitar and a microphone. And there are times maybe when people will describe what I do on a Sunday as leading in worship. And I understand what those descriptions are trying to say, but neither of them is particularly correct. The one who leads us in worship is the one who leads us from pain to praise, from death to life. Jesus Christ is our worship leader. That's why in every part of our service, I want to use God's word. My thoughts don't matter at all. We are led into and through worship by Jesus. And I think this is really important because we, we need to understand that Jesus died for us. That's vital. And we need to understand that Jesus rose for us. That too is vital. But it didn't end there. We also need to know that today, 2,000 years later, Jesus is still alive. And Jesus makes intercession for his people. And so we don't stop following him once we've turned the corner, once we've been saved. We don't get our ticket for heaven and then sit back with our feet up. No, we continue to follow Christ. We continue to follow him as we're enabled by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, we can see from this psalm, what does Jesus do as a result of the resurrection? He praises God. We should follow him in that. He's the leader and we follow behind. And here's the amazing thing. The the means that God uses to make us more like Jesus is exactly what we do in worship. We progress in our sanctification as we follow Christ in praise to God through the ordinary means of, of both weekly Lord's Day and daily worship, prayer, praise, Bible, That's how we're made more like Jesus. We're running out of time. I want to finish, but I want to say one more thing before I do. I want you to notice the generational impact of this psalm. David has had his prayer heard by God. He turns in praise to God and Jesus does the same. But their praise isn't for themselves only. It's shared We tell others about the wonderful works of God. 
And there is reference in this psalm about the gospel going out to all nations. But I want you to notice particularly that this faith, which is not just for individual people, it's a faith for families. Verse 27 speaks about the families of the nations. The last two verses are explicit. The great and mighty rescue of the Lord, the Lord who hears and answers prayer, will be told to the next generation. And here I'm simply calling on us as congregations through family life, through Sunday school, through Good News Club, through JYC, through programs we run in church and through informal conversations like like what we'll have after the service today. In those times, please, each one of us, let's be thinking about how we're upholding the vows that we have taken at baptisms. How are we playing the part, our part in the spiritual nurture and development of the next generation? And look, that goes for all of us, whether you're 80 years older than the little ones or whether you're eight months older. We want to pass on the faith to those who come after us. To extend the illustration a wee bit, if we're following Christ through the jungle and he's at the front with the machete, Think about how you would speak to the people behind you. There's a hole there. Watch you don't trip on that rock. Wouldn't you pass back messages from the leader of the expedition? So it is in the Christian life. We follow Christ. He knows the way. Through silence, through scorn, through suffering. We follow him in praise of our God. And we encourage the next generation to do the same. Let me pray for us.